Let's go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. Welcome to another fascinating, fantabulous episode of The Outer Edge. I'm here with Tim Schwartz. I'm Mike Mutt. And uh, it is Sunday, April 12th, where I am for about another 30 minutes or so. And uh, it's, I believe it's already uh, April the 13th, where Tim is. How are you doing, Tim? Yeah, that's right. April the 13th. Unlucky April the 13th. Monday the 13th? Monday the 13th? I don't know. I mean, does that count? Well, we're, we're lucky to be here on the PSN radio network, though, aren't we? That's right. That's right. So I guess as as long as we have that going for us, then it's right. it's, it's lucky Monday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's... It, it's... Uh, hopefully it'll be lucky going forward. I'm I've been following a little news, and I'm, you know me, I'm always trying to figure out what the hell's going on. But uh, I've, I've been saying for a long time, you know, that, that we're in the middle of a major inflationary bubble. This whole economy is is totally bogus and propped up by, you know, printing trillions and quantitative, quantitative easy money and all this other unregulated stuff that goes on. And uh, it's only a matter of time before it crashes. You can't only inflate a bubble so far before it explodes. And uh, so all I will say to people out there is uh, if you don't have a garden, plant one. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> and and, and yeah. why, is, why is that? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I always, I always plant a garden, you know, uh, yeah, every yeah. every year. But uh, you know, what's what's plant. your reasoning? Yeah, <laughs> what's your reasoning behind that? <laughs> uh, well, the Wall Street Journal this weekend had a a headline. I believe it's on the front page. Um, basically, GE to cash out of banking business. Now, I don't know how many of our listeners realize this, but GE is one of the largest banking and industrial and commercial conglomerates in the world. And they own all kinds of uh, credit card companies and, 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 you know, just, just all kinds of concerns, things that we all have to pay and people and groups that we pay, uh, corporations that we actually make payments to for our credit and stuff. GE actually owns them. Right. And GE is going to cash out of the banking business. They have cited a major strategic, strategic shift comes as it regulators tighten grip on financial firms, whatever that means. Basically what happens is when you start seeing a big giant like this try desperately to divest themselves of their banking interests, they're trying to get out before they take a beating. Hmm. And uh, I would say if you have cash, keep your cash on hand. And uh, even though it'll, it'll be good for a little while, before everybody figures out it's, it's worthless, but it'll be good for a little while. But I'm just saying something's coming. Um, well, I mean, are, are you are you sure that GE doesn't have wind of you know like maybe some kind of chicanery that they have been up to for years, and and now the the uh, the sword is getting ready to come down on their head? 
So they're just trying to too, but, but duck G- and cover. <laughs> well, you know, GE uh, Capital is what's called. They yeah. uh, they um, they have a huge private label credit card and retail finance arm of their of their company. Um, they're going to get it. They're going to divest it. And I think they're going to try to unlock ninety billion for their shareholders. Wow. The share the shareholders are saying do it. So the people that are their shareholders, a lot of those people are like you know super rich. Mm-hmm. So they want to get their money and get the hell out. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't get to be super rich by being stupid, right? They know something's coming, and they're not. And look, this isn't the only clue we have that something's coming. So all I will say is, when you see things going on like this Jade Helm uh, domestic military operation which now has expanded from the southwest over into the southeast and uh all these other things going on that are unprecedented all the powers that be are getting ready for something major and whether it's or i happen to think it's orchestrated i think it's all been kind of coming from several directions to lead to a, a culmination because the only way you can replace existing systems is to intentionally destroy them you have to if if you have something that you want to replace. Oh, I don't know the Constitution, freedom, um, uh, capitalism. You have some idea that you want to force everyone to accept. First, you have to destroy the existing paradigms, and uh, you have all these supposed crises coming to a head at once. You know, California running out of water. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got ten ten million people, ten plus, living in the L.A. area alone. What happens when they don't have any more water to drink? That's Where right. do they go? They, they will, when they finally wake up one day and they realize, gee, maybe we should have taken five minute showers. They have no, they have no <laughs> water at all, and they're paying, you know, ten dollars for a bottle of water, trucked in or something. They're going to be, this is going to be a mass exodus out of Southern California, throughout the Southwest and to the North, and they'll eventually end up, you know, all the way over here. To which I say, I look forward to renting to you. Exorbitant prices like the ones you're used to paying where you live now. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying this is going to get crazy, and and I believe you know that this whole Jane Helm thing is in preparation for for the the financial collapse. It's just even if it's not imminent at this moment, is to get the troops prepared to deal domestically with upheaval, financial collapse, border insecurity, instability, um, domestic upheavals of, of a wide variety. And uh, I just say, be smart. You know, don't don't be don't sit at home watching, uh, you know, dancing with the morons or hungry, hungry housewives all the time. You know, start thinking about what's really going on around you. You're going to be, you're going to be on the the short end when it when it happens. Mm-hmm. That's all well, I'm going to say. Well, I mean, considering that um, the last major financial uh, situation occurred pretty close to the end of uh, the. The Bush administration, yeah, you yeah. know, and, you know, at the at the end of his, uh, you know, his his eight year reign. So now, you know, this may be coming at the end of uh, the Obama administration. You know, I mean, it it could very well be, you know, orchestrated by you know the those the the hidden powers that be uh, to you know make it possible to 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 bring their candidate of choice into right. office. They're they're great problem solver. Yeah, whom which whomever people, whomever that's going to be. Yeah, which people thought we had with the one we have now, which you know he's just a puppet, and 
you know, all this. I mean, I've never heard such grandiose gibberish come out of a politician's mouth in my life. As, well, as, they they all know. are. I mean, but, but, the, yeah. the, but think about this: the, the the oceans will recede, and the planets can now begin. I mean, the planet can now begin to heal. This kind of crap. I mean, I mean, that's like God talk. Okay, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we say this now, but I mean, just you know, get re- get ready for the next one to come in, and all oh, you yeah. know, and all the gibberish that they'll well, have to all, say as well. You know, oh, it, yeah. it all comes from the same source. It does. That's, it, that's what people yeah. don't realize. Yeah, it's, well, it's uh, like a, a picture that I saw in you know, a, a very excellent meme of uh, John Boehner hugging and giving a big wet kiss to Nancy Pelosi on her cheek, and she's got this look on her face, and she does not look offended at all. Let's just put it that way. She looks like she's thinking, "Oh, John," you know. <laughs> I mean, if you really think that these two groups of supposed political parties are that different, or they don't have a, a, a common uh, agenda. And you're a fool. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And, uh, but, uh, but that's just it. See, I mean, you know, most people ha- have been trained at this point, you know, by the uh, uh, by the media to think that uh, that the, comp- the you know the country is separated by you know these these uh, uh, completely divergent ideologies, you know, the the right and the left. And that, uh, you know, uh, depending on, you know, which, whom you're listening to, you know, this one's evil and the other one's good, or oh no, no, this one's good, the other one's evil, when, you know, they're, they're all a bunch of crooks. <laughs> they are, they are. And, yeah, well, you know, know, it's just like, uh, um, every congressman goes in, uh, and ends up filthy rich. Now, see, how does that happen when you make what, what, what do they make now? 100k or something. I don't even know what they make. It's not much compared to what they do. But they go in there. They actually are allowed by their own voting, voting in this law. They're allowed loopholes to that that will let them to take advantage of loopholes that allow them to use insider trading information to make themselves rich. Mm-hmm. If you or I did that, we would go to prison. But they can do it. Okay, uh, Harry Reid went in as one of the the most poor. Uh, senators in American history. He went into office, you know, from a meager background. He's leaving as probably the richest senator or one of the rich, most rich senators, you know, to, to ever hold office. How do you get to be that rich, do any public service job? You know, the, the worst thing we ever did was remove term limits. You know, we should have one term presidents, one term senators, one term congressmen. You know, um, if you want to run again, Put a put a time limit. Say, well, okay, you wait ten years, you can run again. You know, mm-hmm. something something like that. But when you have these people that have been in the Congress and the Senate for forty years, something's wrong, <laughs> or or twenty years, or fifteen mm-hmm. years, something's wrong, man. Mm-hmm. And you know, and even these uh, presidents running two terms, that's that's too long, especially as fast as things change in, in our modern society. Oh, I know, I know, and it does too. Uh, you know, I mean, you just look at how different the country was, you know, eight years ago. You know, when when Obama came into office, and uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's 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 just it's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. you know? and you, you know, know the, yeah, I mean, all these big banking groups, uh, uh, Lehman Brothers, and and what was the mm-hmm. other one? Oh, uh, you know, uh, several of them they were bailed out, bailed out. Like a sure. trillion dollars for all these big banking firms. Um, 
I'm trying to remember the other one, the, the really bit, the really big one. Um, but anyway, they were bailed out, and now they're also probably, you know, reaching that point where they're overinflated. They've overextended themselves again um, with all this free money that the Fed keeps giving them. <laughs> uh, excuse me, lending them. Lending them, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're getting rich, 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 rich on artificial money. But you know, look at all the people that lost their homes. You know. Uh, nobody bailed them out. Oh no! So of course not. We have a we have a big problem, and I'm hoping well, that. But see, what, once again, I mean, you know, we 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 hear from the uh, the mass media, you know, that these people who who lost their homes, you know, well, you know, these were just dead, you know, they were deadbeats. I mean, it's 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 their own fault that they lost their homes. You know, it's their own fault that uh, the legal system made it possible for these banks just to rubber stamp these yeah. foreclosures without any examination. Well, so you of, don't even get uh, started actually, on that. That was yeah. that was Chris Dodd and Barney Frank did that. They they opened the door for that and allowed that to happen and pushed mm-hmm. it. And when others tried to stop it from both parties, they stood in the way and made sure. Be, and, and what they don't tell you is Barney Frank's boyfriend was the chairman of uh, of one of the uh, either Freddie or Fannie, one of the uh, one of the government backed concerns that was was making these these uh, inflated loans that people should not be able to get with the credit they had. His his boyfriend, who's now his husband, was the one that was uh, behind this, and so he's up there in Congress saying, "Oh no, no, don't put an end to this! Don't put an end to this!" You know, uh, this is corruption at the highest level. You know, it really oh, is. Oh yeah, yeah, it sure is. So, but uh, like you said, uh, at this point, I guess we all should uh, <laughs> uh, be out there. Uh, Getting our gardens in and uh, maybe learning how to uh, repair bicycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Learn how to do a lot of things if you don't know how, because you're going to need it. Um, they, uh, you know, a few didn't need to be bailed out. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, they were real healthy during that crisis, and they didn't need to be bailed out the last time. But uh, the very fact that somebody as big as GE Capital management GE capital groups getting out that tells you something that that's very disturbing and uh so be smart you know be be don't worry about cash too much don't start doing things that will put you in a position that you can take care of your family and and all that kind of stuff and you should be able to defend what is yours that's all i'll say about that (laughs) i agree with that (laughs) definitely well um Who's our guest tonight, uh, Mike? We gotta, we have to go to a break in just a, a minute or so here. So, uh, why don't we tell everyone, uh, our fantabulous guest? Yeah, our guest tonight is a fascinating guy. Uh, actually, you played a little bit of his rock music coming in with the group mm-hmm. Ghoul Town, which is uh, Lyle's group. But Lyle Blackburn is our guest. He's a, a, tr- a truly talented writer and researcher of all things cryptozoological. And I know that his book on, uh, um, the lizard man in, in related forms is is one of the uh, one of the top books ever written on the topic, and he's researched just about everything. He's I think he's been doing a lot of research in the recent years on the um, the Falk monster in Falk, Arkansas, you know, the legend of Buggy Creek, that kind of thing. But yeah, he's uh, he's re- he really knows his stuff. So I'm really really excited to uh, have him back on the show. And by the way, when you hear our intro, uh, the the cool uh, uh, Tex Mex 
uh, sound that leads into our show is actually uh, from Lyle's group, uh, Ghoul Town. So you guys check out his music too because it is awesome. Well, maybe but, I'll just maybe I'll just run a little bit of that as we're as we're going out on our break as well. That uh, cruel okay. winds of dusk is the, the name of that. Right, excellent. Right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's do our break then, and when we come back, uh, we'll have uh, Lyle Blackburn on. So you are listening to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. So stay tuned, and we will be right back. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. mrufo8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954 That's 954-973-3374 or visit keyinformation.com. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. 
And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. List and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. All right, welcome back. You're listening to The Outer Edge with Tim Swartz and Mike Mott. And today, or tonight actually, our guest is Lyle Blackburn. Lyle, how are you doing tonight? Thank you very much for being with us today. Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Our pleasure. Yeah, is it, this, is, this is your second time on, isn't it? I believe so, yes. Yeah, you were, you were one of our first guests on the new show. Oh, yeah, oh that's, that's right. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very cool, very cool indeed. Well, I, I saw you on uh, one of these monster shows not long ago, uh, where you guys were like in in, in uh, Falk, Arkansas, and uh, talking about the 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 whole Falk monster situation. So you've been doing a lot of that lately, haven't you? Yeah, I think uh, you know that's sort of an ongoing thing that I'll probably be doing the rest of my life at this point. Because once I wrote the Beast of Boggy Creek book and sort of became recognized as an authority on the Falk Monster Legend of Boggy Creek thing, uh, you know, I just get a lot of people coming at me with, uh, you know, old reports, new reports and whatever. And then obviously the TV shows um, that have covered that have had me on there. So it's been a great thing because, you know, I, when I wrote the book, you know, I just wrote it and wrote it up to the point uh, that that current time so it's just kind of an ongoing story um and i just keep collecting yeah. reports from that and hopefully work it into a, a follow-up book one of these days well you know for a lot of people the, the the old 70s movie legend of boggy creek was really their their introduction to the whole bigfoot hairy humanoid uh phenomenon that they that really is what kind of uh shook america and said hey look there's something going on here Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I think I've come to realize just how many people were influenced by that, you know, in regards to people who are Bigfoot researchers or into cryptozoology, as well as just how many people remember that movie as a kid, just thinking, man, it was so scary. And, uh, you know, it's just perfect timing for the movie. So, you know, I was just one of those kind of people living in kind of my own vacuum. And uh, when I wrote the book, and and thinking, oh man, I, I you know I love this movie. But when a book came out, and I started going around doing lectures and and meeting a lot of people. I just I realized like, whoa, how many people know this movie and how many were influenced by it? It's amazing, right? Exactly. And, oh, I I, re- I remember seeing that movie. You know, when it first came out uh, as a kid. You know, I mean, it uh, it came to our home uh, hometown theater. I mean, there wasn't a lot of fanfare uh, about it. 
But and you know, at that time, I mean, I had no idea, you know, like about Bigfoot or creatures like that. And you know, you go and see that movie, and uh, and then later I started reading, you know, like in uh, Saga magazine and Argosy and things like that about uh, the very same thing. I was like, whoa, that was real. You know, right, it exactly. blew my mind. Well, you know, I saw it at a drive-in theater, <laughs> and that was a trip. Yeah, me too. <laughs> my parents, you know, figured I'd sleep in the back seat, I'm sure, at that point. I was a little kid, but, man, I, I heard that monster roar at the beginning. I was, like, up, ready to watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the thing that, that, that has always been there is a theme that we find all the time, and, and people seem to only now really to be, seem to be taking it seriously, but this creature really seemed to have a thing for the ladies. He's really attracted to young, nubile teenage girls, isn't he? Well, aren't we all? <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he, I suppose he has good taste, you know. <laughs> uh, He's on a, he seems to be on a reproductive quest. Yeah, true. I mean, they, obviously the populations are thin with these type of creatures. You know, you may they may start uh, looking uh, a wandering eye, so to speak. Yeah, because you know the, little, the girls in the trailer, uh, and then uh, recently on one of these TV shows, there was the 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 young lady, the teenage girl or or young adult who uh, saw one of these things by a gate. She was coming home, and boy, he was determined to get in there and grab her. Apparently, so. Yeah, you know, and, and I've interviewed both of those people. In, in The Legend of Boggy Creek, the girls in the trailer were girls playing the part of, but I've talked to the actual, you know, girl that was in the trailer. Yeah. Uh, and as well, I, the one you're talking about more recently, um, where it ran across the road, you know, I, I was the one that investigated that sighting. And, uh, yeah, there, there seems to be a theme uh, of, of girls being able to see. And, of course, there's many other sightings, but... Right. But those those are obviously the, some of the more dramatic and right. You know, yeah. He doesn't seem to try to avoid the girls as much as he tries to avoid the <laughs> the males. Well, the males, especially up there, could uh, be armed, heavily armed with guns. So he better yeah. make a quick quick exit on those. Yeah, exactly. And you, you remember the original Fountain Monster flap? They were saying that he had three toes, but I wonder if that were not just like they were misreading the print or. Or he was in, one of his feet was injured or missing a toe, missing some digits, or what do you think? Well, of course, I looked into that extensively uh, in doing the book, and you know my conclusion or theory on that is that if you look at the very first sighting report of the Ford incident that got in the newspaper, there's a just a brief mention of we found some strange tracks and they looked like they had three toes. Well. Yeah. That kind of established the three-toe thing, and then uh, you know a few months later, when they found the infamous tracks through that soybean field that they show in the Legend of Boggy Creek. Now, I've seen photos of this, I've seen casts of it, and it it's definitely got three toes. There's there's maybe a fourth one that that's not quite registering, but those right. track those particular tracks look highly dubious to me. They look okay. almost very long and thin and don't really match up to what an animal of that size and stature would need to balance. So either in that case, you know, there was some funny business going on with those tracks 
uh, or, you know, there's obviously the theories that it is a deformity, deformity or something like that. I don't think naturally that creature would evolve to have three toes. It just, it just right. does not make sense, especially when you look at, at this particular cast, a photo of it. And there's a photo in my book and everything. But, you know, over time, people in that area have found five-toed tracks, four-toed tracks. So, right, right. You know. And well, that, that leads me to what I was going to say because, you know, you have all these different different uh, toe tracks with this particular uh, creature or group of creatures, different numbers of toes on some of these tracks. And you'll look, you'll, you'll find that, you know, uh, genet- genetically, in inbred populations, you can have either too many digits or too few digits on fingers, on hands and hands and feet, and fingers and toes. There's a tribe, you know, as you probably know, in Africa, there's an entire tribe of people who are all very, very closely related, and their feet, they do not have human-looking feet. They actually have feet which are sort of split like ostrich feet, and with two big, long toes on each foot. And it is an inherited trait, and they say that it's because they have been inbred, you know, at numerous different occasions during their their history and really isolated. So if if these creatures are primates and they're really isolated uh, a lot of the time, and they they've had, you know, they've almost, you know, died out, and then they come back because they're all really closely related. I mean, that might explain some of these anomalies with their their digits on their feet. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just so many aspects to that that you can uh, put into the mix that certainly so. And, you know, um, because of the varying toe counts, and of course, even a, even a five-toed creature in conditions that are not optimal for making tracks can register with four, you know. So there's yeah. there's just so many variables that you just sort of have to keep all these theories um out there, and hopefully, you know, obviously, if we've discovered a creature or found a much better set of footprints, then maybe we could narrow it down. So, uh, yeah, just fascinating, uh, you know, variables in, in, in the foot. Yeah, very cool. So this is a large animal, or large creature for sure. Yeah, and, and that's where I always come from is sort of a logical standpoint. And most your average description is that it stands seven feet tall it weighs at least 350 pounds. And I think a lot of time people misunderestimate uh, the weight, you know, because, you, you know, you probably, you know, I've seen big dudes that weigh, I mean, football players that weigh, you know, 300 pounds. And, you know, this yeah. thing is even more muscular and muscle weighs right. more. So, I mean, this thing could weigh 350 more or more. Yeah, I'd and, say about 500 pounds. Yeah, and if... Yeah. If you're talking about a very long, skinny foot with three toes, you got boy, that's that is a rough, yeah, <laughs> uh, rough. <laughs> and way you also to have to look at the de- you have to look at the depth of those prints. Like if he's in a soybean field and he weighs four hundred, five hundred pounds, then those should be some deep, deep prints. Right, and, and that was a freshly plowed field, which was either very convenient or you know the creature made a mistake in walking through that. But but yeah, they're not that deep. I mean, yeah. They're, they're, it's almost like if a human walked through there, it, it yeah. weighing 175, 200 pounds. So if, if it weighs. Funky little fake feet, maybe. Yeah. And so I, I, I kind of just don't, don't hold that particular, most the most famous set of prints as the best example. You know, and I've, 
I've talked to people, and in, in, in that show you're talking about the Monsters and Mysteries in America Fountain Monster episode, there's a gentleman, Doyle, Doyle Holmes, that displays a five-toed track. I put a lot more credibility in that thing because not only have I interviewed Doyle and gotten to know him, um, he's a skilled woodsman. The place where he found him is very remote, and he's just not the kind of guy to hoax a track or anything like that. I mean, yeah. uh, whereas back in the early in the in the flap where this was going on, um, there were certain, there was people in t- in the town of Falk that you know made the best of what was going on, and the people coming to town and were selling things, you know. Souvenirs and things, so it may have behooved them to to do some, you know, playful <laughs> tomfoolery with this. Whereas Doyle is just a guy out hunting and runs across a really strange track, and his his track has five toes, you know. Hmm. Yeah, That's, and oh, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. Well, no, I was I was just going to say, you know, and uh, that that's what always confuses me. I I, I suppose about the you know the whole. Um, hoaxing attitude is you know first of all you know unless you expect to 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 make a bunch of money you know why do it and then and then not so much with you know like the uh, hoaxing the footprints but you know the you know you see these videos all the time where uh you you see you know like a a full-bodied uh, a creature, you know, walking through the woods and stuff like that, and you know, people say, "Oh, well, you know, that's a hoax. That's a guy, you know, in a uh, in, in a costume." And once again, you know, considering all the people out there with uh, high-powered rifles, uh, I can understand uh, some of these yabos who would take the risk of uh, getting their head blown off, you know, uh, by going out in the woods with a costume on and attempting to uh, to fool people. I I'm I'm really surprised that there has not been more accidental shootings of uh of these people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, I mean, it, it's just a risky proposition because I've interviewed, you know, a number of hunters that have had sightings and uh, you know, could have shot one of these creatures and you know, they're always in just you can kind of sort out the places where maybe it was a person in a suit running across the road. You know, those are close to town. Those are, you know, uh, convenient places. And then, But the majority of these sightings, it would be difficult to even get down there and walk around in a suit uh, in the first place, much less you're taking your, your life in your own hands um, in these backwoods of Arkansas sure. trying to hoax. It just, it just is, that just does not explain... Everything you know, people. Oh well, you know, my, yeah. my cousin was a fat monster man. He, you know, he, we had his suit and everything. I'm like, okay, so your cousin's probably a hundred years old, and he's been running down there, <laughs> dodge, yeah. you know, dodging bullets, literally taking this yeah. lap in his own hands, all in yeah. the muck of the swamp, breaking um, through barn barn walls or whatever. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Does does not now not to say his yeah. cousin didn't get a suit and run across the road a couple times, but. Yeah. That just simply does not um, explain all the long history of sightings. Of course, these people aren't aware of the collective history. When they're telling me that, right. yeah, I know some people seen it, dude. <laughs> they don't, you know. I've I've tracked down all these people and put together a collect a collective um, body of data that has all these sightings. And most of them, most of those, they're not even aware of. You know, they don't right. know every sighting. So when they say 
their cousins is a foul monster. They're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, it's been seen like 20 times, so he did all those. Now, it's been seen a whole lot more than that, you know. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, another thing about that is when they do these ho- hoaxes, they do it because they think it's funny. They want to make fun. They want to, you know, they're going to pull a big joke on everybody. But what they don't understand is all they're doing is is causing confusion, and they're making the legitimate witnesses look like fools. And maybe that's what they're trying to do. You know, yeah, um, and I don't, I don't, I don't I was say, yeah, and I don't think those people really realize all that because, like, some jokers making a hoax, they don't understand what people like us who, you know, make this a part of our life, yeah, what the chaos that causes. They're just thinking, ah, this is funny, but well, they don't yeah. care, and that's because they're yeah. stupid. But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I mean you see, look, look, you see it everywhere. You see it in ufology. You see it in all, you know, strange phenomena research. Um, and it's it's tough enough for some of these people. I mean, you and I and Tim, for sure, have talked to these people. They don't want people to use their real name. They're scared about what people are going to think about them, their church, their job, their community a lot of times oh change my name don't use my name all this kind of stuff i mean and it, it takes a lot of guts for the ones that tell you to begin with and the ones that use their own name and say hey i'm standing up and i'm saying i saw this they know they're setting themselves up to be ridiculed uh maybe ostracized you know all this slandering and stuff and so when these these idiots run around faking stuff they're just making it tougher on the people that actually have the guts and the mm-hmm. courage to tell us what has happened to them. Yeah, that's certainly why a lot of people are reluctant because they, you know, they see all the the nonsense that's going on. And I think it just gets worse and worse by the day because now it's, I mean, Bigfoot, there's so many videos out there and there's so much, it's so easy to hoax things that it just, uh, it's become very hard and very time-consuming and a, a lot of times a waste of time to try to determine what's real and what's not. Whereas sometimes I do like looking into the old sightings because, you know, in, in the Falcon Monster case, those people didn't even know what Bigfoot was. Right. They didn't have heard of it. They didn't know the word. I mean, they weren't – this wasn't, at, you know, in 1971 when most of that was happening uh, and getting in the papers. They weren't – they didn't have Bigfoot on the brain. There was nobody right. down there going, you know, if I hoax a Bigfoot sighting, it, it might right. get on the Internet, and my friends will think it's real funny. That you, that just didn't exist. So I, no. I think those are good cases where you're thinking, man, these people either saw something strange or, you know, there's less, there's less of that hoax element. Well, you know, in uh, the South... And I, when I say the South, I'm talking about from the far side west of Texas all the way to the tip of Florida. Okay, the real old South, you know, before massive immigration from, you know, Haiti and Cuba and all this. But you know, this used to all be a similar culture, a cultural matrix, I guess you could call it. And even up into Appalachia, um, they didn't call. They had a, a, a term that they used for any strange, scary thing in the woods. They called it a booger. You know, whether it was a, a cat or a, a thing walking on two legs. You know, they didn't say it was Bigfoot or it was Sasquatch or you know. They just basically a booger meant it was some scary ass creature that was out there in the dark and watch out or it just might 
pick you up or kill you or you know whatever. And so yeah, the the fact that people think that they were hoaxing Bigfoot sightings, of course they wouldn't be doing that a hundred years ago because the whole concept of Bigfoot, as we know it now, did not exist. Right. Now you know I'm, that's another thing I really love about researching this stuff in the South is that I've I've you know been collecting a an ongoing list of these sort of regional and localized names for Bigfoot kind of in in modern times and yeah you have you know the falc monster the honey island swamp monster sabine thing caddo critter list just goes on and on right right you know and it's very cool to to see you know what people they they had to give it some kind of name and yeah booger is one that kind of that kind of transcends across different states almost like exactly very general term and uh you know you see that as well well as just all kinds of creative yeah, yeah. Uh, names. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, I think the whole booger thing goes back to uh, sort of the the, the, uh, the English and the, the Scots-Irish and all this because, um, you know, they had a whole tradition of, of beast, beastly sort of, sort of demonic beings that roamed around by night, and they were called uh, bogies, boogies, uh, boggles, you know, and I, I, I suspect that this whole booger thing probably comes from from that the fact that a lot of the people uh you know in that in this region that we're talking about were of the, of British Isles descent. Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah, and that kind of spread as people spread across the country yeah. and yeah. and you see that um in in many cases in different states. Yeah. Oh yeah, well that that term made it as far far north as, you know, like Kentucky, Illinois, and, and Indiana, because, I mean, I remember my, my grandparents who, you know, came, came from Illinois and Kentucky talking about, talking about the boogers in the woods. Yeah. As, as, as soon as you started to make that statement, I knew that's what you were going to say. You're going to say boogers. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, any, anything even vaguely near Appalachian down through the south, that's that was a term that sort of the catch-all term for monsters, you know, back in back in the old days, and they even use that for like uh, um, big cats a lot of times. You know, they oh yeah, we we have one around here that they describe as some people say it, it's a a big cat, and other people say it's a hairy humanoid. They call it the Stratton booger. Okay, well, you know, it's just something. Anything in the woods in that area around this little community in the country called Stratton, if it's if it scares somebody, it's the Stratton booger. You know, um, it's, it's basically. It goes back to that whole British Isles thing, I think. But what gets me about the Boggy Creek thing is you, you guys have some really good vocalizations you've captured of that, don't you? Uh, yeah, there's been some fairly good recordings that have come out of that area uh, of different sorts. And I, I mean, I've even personally um, heard quite a distinct vocalization out of there, which unfortunately the, the recording of that. Uh, was almost drowned in the in the uh, ambient noise of insects and and things like that. But um, but yeah, I think let's see. You know, trying to think of the exact years, there was some some Bigfoot groups up there. Um, you know, in the last ten years, that have really tried to use audio recording to uh, you know to enhance their research. And yeah, there's been there's several times where I've heard stuff that you know there's just no explanation for. And oddly yeah. enough, you know, when I heard something, it's very similar. So you know, it, at least it it sort of starts looking like it's the 
the same creature. We still don't know what that creature is, but at least they start to match up, and that's pretty cool. Well, you know, that's that's something that uh, I've, I've been uh, listening a lot recently to some of these, you know, alleged uh, Bigfoot audio recordings, and, uh, you know, it, it's obvious to me that the people who have made these recordings and then put them out uh, on the Internet have no idea of the the sound that just you know your 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 normal <laughs> animals of the woods make because so many of these are uh, foxes coyotes howling you know just just uh, owls and they're like oh that's a bigfoot I mean, that's not a bigfoot that's a couple of screech owls you know that yeah, sort of thing yeah. and and it's just like well and you know you know you hear you hear some coyotes howling and they they you know they could be a distance away maybe down in a hollow or something. And you know it can sound weird, but uh, you know if if you've heard them before, you know that's a coyote. So I mean, you know, there, there, there's just so many people who who are going out into the woods who who I think they need to go out in the woods a little bit more often and uh, learn to distinguish the difference between you know these these you know the the, the normal creatures of the woods and then something that's unusual. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You get me going on that. I mean, there is just so much of that. I've gotten to the point where I don't bother even trying to go and listen to all this stuff because, you know, 99% of the time it's exactly what you say. I, I you know, I got a recent one, you know, it was a, a cougar. There's fox. That's one that people do not understand the sounds <laughs> a fox can make, and it's a variety of sounds. Yeah. They hear that. It's like, whoa, what was that? It's not a coyote. Yeah, but it's it's a fox, and you can point this out. And what happened? What I see lately is these I don't know, amateur bigfooters, or whatever you want to call them, or more likely amateur outdoorsmen. They will, before researching it thoroughly and trying to to rule out what it might be, it's already on the internet. It's a bigfoot, and then mm-hmm. everybody's got to waste all of their time, and fifty people tell them it's a fox, you know, and they still, and no, I don't know, you know, it's like. People need to research, like you say, they need to learn more about the woods, the animals around, get some sound clips. And, you know, and if you rule all those things out and you say, man, I, I still don't know what it is, could be a Bigfoot or something, then put it out there and let everybody help you determine, you know, from there. But, yeah, it's just too much. It's, the Internet makes it too easy to go make a recording with Coyote and stick it on the Internet and say it's Bigfoot. And it just is a complete... Uh, cluster to try to navigate through all that stuff to try to find the good stuff. Well, I had uh, I had somebody bring me a recording not too long ago, and they were like, hey, "Man, I don't know what this is," but you know, I mean, they were down they they were they were down fishing, you know, on a river, and uh, you know, it was a you know pretty pretty desolate area, you know, not much around there, and they 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 got these recordings that they had gotten on their uh, their cell phone. And I listened to him, and you know, yeah, boy, it it sounded weird. I mean, it's like you know, grunts and screams. I mean, just raise the hair on the back of your neck. But it sounded familiar to me, uh, you know, considering where I grew up. And I said, um, where exactly did you, you know, get these recordings? And you know, they they told me. Well, it turned out on the other side of the river was a pig farm. <laughs> and if if you have and it, and I, and I, if you don't know what you're listening to, if you've ever heard pigs at night, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. 
you know, screaming and grunting and stuff, man. You would. You would think that you were hearing something, you know. <laughs> you you yeah. were hearing like a bunch of Bigfoot. And I said to him, I was like, man, those are pigs. Maybe a Bigfoot uh, orgy. Yeah, well, and that's what it sounds like, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. And they're like, no, no, it's not pigs. You know, pigs don't make that noise. And I'm like, come <laughs> on, you know. Right. You know? Yeah, their frame of reference is, you know, uh, hearing a pig on, on, you know, their child's little animal sounds you know pig goes and that that's all that's all they know and and they assume that's a pig noise unless you lived on a farm or uh and that's become a problem down here there is so many feral hogs running wild out there i mean i was recently up on uh up on that bayou uh near falc and there must have been about a dozen hogs on one side of me and a dozen hogs on the other and they were just rooting and making that same you know ruckus and yeah if you were just some person who'd never been out there and at that point you would have thought yeah an army of that falcon monsters is about to jump out in water and get you you know it sounded uh, you know alarming and so that becomes yeah more of a problem more wild hogs and whatever well, I, I tell you though, I don't. I think I'd I'd sooner be in the middle of a bunch of falc monsters and a bunch of feral pigs. <laughs> oh yeah, well you know, I've, occasionally people criticize me because I I carry a sidearm when I'm doing Bigfoot research. You know, it's like, well, you, you know, you know, all you Texans. I'm like, hey, look, it's not. I, I'm not going to shoot any sort of unknown or cryptid or Bigfoot or anything like that. Unless but, it attacks you, uh, yeah, you know, and yeah, yeah. Even then, I'm, you know, I'm going to be trying to grab some DNA or something. But you know, <laughs> uh, but you have to. I mean, we ran up on a hog that was just sitting there in the day, up in some brush, and that thing got alarmed, and luckily it jumped up and ran the other way. But you know, had it had some some piglets or whatever, it might have thought we're running up on him. It could have come out of that brush, running at us. You you have to be prepared. Yeah for that and you know and yep. there's i mean cougars people, and alligators people, yeah, people who've never seen a wild hog have no idea what what we're talking about i mean they do not look like the pigs you see in the pig farm pictures hmm. which mm-hmm. can kill you also by the way they get i start i start saying domestic pig do a bunch yeah. of damage to you yeah. fast yeah. so I yeah mean. <laughs> but these wild when they go feral you know they get all hairy and their tusks grow and everything the first thing they do is they attack your they have a, they know what to do they attack your legs and they'll rip out your femoral artery and they go for your genitals now look that's a big powerful animal moving real fast and, and you know you have to be able to stop it if it's coming at you you're not going to be able to talk to it or you know throw it a, a, a treat or whatever you know it's just yeah. not going to happen and you know what gets me is like like I used to take my kids to the beach and and I would say you know okay the beach is fun but I just want to tell you, we're going to go in the ocean. But once you step off of this ocean, I mean, off this beach into this ocean, you have left civilization and you are in the wilderness. Once you're in that ocean with me, we are part of the food chain. <laughs> I'm just letting you know that. You could get stung. You could get bit. You could. Worst things can happen. This is not a, a park and a recreation area that was created by the universe for you to play in. You're no different than any other creature 
once you go in here. And that's the same thing with any wilderness area. And that's what, you know, so many people have no idea. They, they have this concept that the wilderness is a playground. You know, the woods are the, oh, let's go get naked in the woods. Okay, you go do that. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> do that. That sounds like fun. Mm. But, you know, they, they really are to- so totally out of touch with their, with their true selves. Okay. With, with themselves in the truest sense as the human animal, I guess you could say, as what we really are, that they have this totally idiotic idea what nature is. So even if you're not talking about dangerous cryptids, I mean, it's like you say, you would be a fool to go into a wilderness area and not be armed. Mm-hmm. You'd be a fool. Yeah, That's I, my I, opinion. yeah I think people have, have forgotten uh, about those. They have, have a distorted view, like you say. They've lived in the city and... and urban concrete so long that they forget that uh, you can quickly be part of the food chain or you you know you'll be fighting a feral pig which you know most people probably never seen in the wild but a good thing you could google that on YouTube and you can see some scary videos oh, that yeah. dudes have posted uh, of the, those feral hogs so it's <laughs> get a good sense about what those things can do so I certainly you know I mean I I grew up as a hunter. I uh, I'm at home in the woods. I, I you know, 99.9 percent of the time, I'm not going to need a gun, but I'm not going to um, be unprepared. And, and the same thing goes for carrying survival gear. You know, I have a survival yeah. pack that has all this stuff. You just never know. He's like, well, you know, my car's this way. You know, oh, I got my GPS. Well, you you know, that can break. Your battery can go out. You can get turned around. A storm could come up. You know, there's there's any number of things. And you really have to be prepared when you go out, um, you know, and, and these Bigfooters and, and new new folks going out. You know, I, I try to advise them to right. before you, before, you know, you may know some Bigfoot history, but you also need to know a little bit about the woods where you're going survival and think ahead because it can get real dangerous well think about this i mean people have this this unrealistic view of nature that extends so far as to even they want to feed alligators and they want to walk up close to a bear and throw it something to eat and you know they have this whole winnie the pooh mentality and you know all they're doing is setting themselves or somebody else up to be attacked at some point, it's called it's called evolution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah the dumb the dumb die. <laughs> well, yeah. what happens is they also cause these animals to lose their fear of people. Yes, yeah, that's the, true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. the bear. Yeah, especially with the bears, a fed bear is a dead bear because it he mm. uh, loses its fear. You know, and I my family has a a cabin up in the mountains of New Mexico, and there's bears there all the time. You know. They're outside your cabin. And I've seen folks in some of those cabins up there uh, that have fed the bears. And it's such a shame because when you do that and then now the bears are coming around, now they're a threat to children in the area, etc. And, you know, that bear of no fault of its own is suddenly, um, you know, on the radar of, of game officials and, and whatever. And, man, it's it's – I just – it just bothers me, you know, people – do that and endanger these already rapidly uh, disappearing wildlife forms, you know. Right. 
Well, I, you know, I wonder if maybe uh, you run into the same situation because, and I and I know, Mike, that you've heard you've heard these stories. Uh, I'm thinking about a woman in Kentucky who who claimed for quite a while that she was feeding uh, uh, Bigfoot that was living behind her house. You know, she'd leave, you know, like apples and pancakes, I think was one of the other things she was leaving out for them. And, you know, the, like the, the, they'd come and, and, and get these offerings. So, I mean, I wonder if you're, uh, doing the very same thing along those lines, you know, don't feed the Bigfoot. Yeah. 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 Unless you, unless you want a day. Yeah. I think that was the, (laughs) I think that was the uh, Carter Farm in Tennessee, where uh, I want to say Janice was her name, and she, yeah, they they were coming up and and getting sugar and things at the door, <laughs> uh, whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you never know those Bigfoots. Well, but you know, it has so far, even though she's got them coming up, and apparently they're domesticated, they she still can't get a picture, and yeah. no one, no one else has had a. Credible sighting, so I guess Bigfoot may be a little bit more wide as to that whole deal. Yeah. So, so whatever happened to her, I, you know, I remember wondering recently, not hearing any more about that. I mean, did anything ever happen from that? Did they ever have any proof at all that she was had these things coming to her back door, like she said? Or because I thought they were going to try to prove this or something. Yeah, I mean, I think like any of these historical Bigfoot things, there's there's always another person coming along that's going to look into it. And I know, you know, s- several, you know, great, great researchers went out there and really looked into this to try to determine what was going on. Um, and I think once that had been done, most people were like, yeah, it's not looking too good. And it just sort of died away. And, her, you know, her claims would just get more outrageous. And it just... You know, I think at some point it starts out like, wow, maybe that, you know, this sounds promising. And then it just, you know, time after time, researchers go there. They couldn't find anything. She's still claiming these wild claims. And, you know, people move on. There's something else, another one of those cases starting up that you've got to look into. So I think it just, you know, nobody turned up anything good and it just died away. Right. Listen, I saw something the other day, actually from a Facebook link. Uh, some supposed bones that would look bloody and sort of rotted and with these weird-looking big feet. It's like this lady, I don't know who the lady is, but this lady says that she knows the family that has these bones and they are Bigfoot bones and and blah, blah. And I said, you know, how do you know that that's even, uh, how do you know that's not like a photo of a burn victim, you know, or some, you know, some, uh, some basketball player with huge feet that was in a car wreck, you know. <laughs> well, I, I know, I know all about that. I've, yeah. So, what's fact, the story, dude? Tell us. Here's the story. I saw that same thing on one of those groups. Um, um, people have added me to hundreds of those groups, but I happened to see this because I recognized the photo. Uh, it was a photo from the back of Smoky Crabtree's book, 1974 book, Smoky and the Fountain Monster, and. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. It was his second book, Too Close to the Mirror. Sorry about that. Um, but it's a photo that, of, that Smokey has, and I have a whole chapter in my book about that skeleton. And this lady, you know, got here, – here's another case. Without looking into it or researching, she just puts it out there and, you know, makes 
tons of assumptions. And then it starts one of these threads on there. And I said, okay, I don't usually chime in on these because I don't really want to argue because, you, you know, it's just a waste of time. But in this case, it was the Falk Monster. What it was was in 1991, some bones of... Uh, a full skeletal creature missing the head was found in some woods near Karnak, Texas. And Karnak is about an hour and a half south of Falk. And uh, the sheriff was called out there because it was found by some hunters. He looked into it, brought a veterinarian, and, and they determined what it was. And they were going to have it picked up the next day. Well, uh, the person who owned that hunting land their like little nephew or something thought, man, that, that's a Bigfoot, you know, something weird about that. And that might be the Falk monster. So he called Smokey and said, hey, we can get this skeleton for you if you want. You know, I think it might be the Falk monster. And so Smokey said, yeah, you know, fine, great. He said, you guys bring it up here. I'm not transporting a skeleton across state lines. Hmm. Uh, Smokey, <laughs> Smokey is not, he is a very smart individual. <laughs> and, and for those that don't know, Smokey Crabtree was in the movie The Legend of Boggy Creek. His son had had a significant sighting, so he was high, he was very associated with with the Falk Monster. But anyway, so these kids, before the police could get that skeleton and get rid of it, they took it and got it to Smokey. Now, admittedly, this thing is insane looking, and I've seen I've seen it. Um, okay. And so when you know, this lady put the photo of the feet out there, she only has part of the photo. I've 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 seen it in person. Um, yeah. And uh, Smokey, you know, Smokey had it, and it's at a it's at a, no, a location, um, you know, where I know where it is, and and so there had been you know people looking into it, trying to figure out what the whole thing was about, and Smokey was you know himself investigating because it was admittedly very strange. And if you look at those feet, it does look like something that walked upright and it looks like it has feet, very long feet, roughly the size of those that have been associated with a foul monster or Bigfoot and, uh, and all that. So what I did, which well, again, people don't do, I traced it back. I, I hunted down the sheriff who had investigated this thing and talked to him directly. And he, t he filled me in on the story and told me what it was. It was, you know, you know, used to I try to delay the suspense of this. It's in my book, and I kind of tell it in a cool way. But let's just, since it's on the Internet, let's just say uh, it was identified as a Siberian tiger, and it was, it had lived on an exotic game park out there in East Texas and it died and the person the owners had taken it to a taxidermist and I guess they wanted the skin or something um, right. so in the process of doing taxidermy it removed the head the skin and the tail well this thing is the skeleton which was unused is huge I mean sitting yeah. a little just a in a little uh, you know bobcat carcass this thing is huge so I guess the dude what he would normally do is just dump it out somewhere on some, you know, in some woods and animals. You mean just the, the taxidermist? Yes. 
yeah. whatever you would do with the remains, and you know, I'm sure animals ate it up right away. Well, it just so happens he dumps this big old Siberian skeleton, Siberian tiger skeleton out there, and it just you know, those hunters just found it in the nick of time because it was still totally intact. Hmm. And so, you know, admittedly, man, you see this thing, it's the weirdest thing I have ever seen. I mean, it is mind blowing. And if you're looking at it in terms of big foot or foul monster, um, you are freaking out because, you know, you're not thinking tiger. I mean, it's found in the woods of Texas. This is not the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> anyway, so there was a whole lot of hoop light. In fact, there was a documentary made back in 1995 called The Hunt for Bigfoot, which hardly anybody has seen because it's so rare. It was only released on VHS. I have a copy, seen it. Um, and, of course, people wanted to ultimately determine, you know, you, you can't take all the the facts at face value. Sure, let's see if we can have some scientists verify that it's a tiger, you know. I mean, the, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. We've got the, the, the sheriff who traced it back directly to the person who put it there. Yeah. Uh, and there was newspaper articles in the Marshall News, um, and Smokey was... Uh, you know, in possession of it and participated in that documentary. And it's it's a cool part of the Fout Monster history. But it's funny that somebody just now puts that picture, which is on the back of his book that's been out for years and years, up there, and it starts this debate. Of course, I chime in and say, here's exactly what it is, and here's why it's what it is. If you want to know the whole story, go get my book and read it, because now you're going to have all the documented information you know, people argued back and forth. Oh, I think it's a bear. I'm like, dude, it's not a bear. And I, you know, my just you know, people. It's internet, ex, it's internet expert syndrome. Wow, yeah. everybody yeah. internet is expert on everything. They want to believe what they want to believe, and of course, a bunch of my colleagues popped in there and said, "Look, this is what it is." Lyle is, you know, doesn't just I. I don't post much because unless I know the complete story and I've really looked into it, I don't start running my mouth, you know. Yeah. But in this case, I had spent years looking into all this stuff, and uh, I was lucky to talk to that sheriff um, because by the time my book came out, he had passed away. I called I called his number, you know, when my book was out and said, hey, I put the book out because he got a real kick out of it when I first called over there and said, um, sir, um, you know, my name's Law Blackburn. I'm writing a book on Legend Boggy Creek. And do you happen to remember a skeleton you found about 20 years ago in the woods? And the, and the guy's like, uh, he goes, you don't forget stuff like that, son. He goes, <laughs> something like that. And uh, he, he just got a kick out of it. He said, we don't know what happened to it. We went back down there. The vet went back there the next day to haul it off of that guy's land because he didn't want it. And it was gone. And so he never, he never really knew the whole story. So he got a kick out of it. So I was going to shoot him a copy of my book, but when I called after it came out, his son said that uh, man he had passed away. So I was, oh, bummer. I was fortunate to talk to him because I, I like to go back to the source, you, you know. And and so people, there's always going to be a debate. And I certainly, even in my book, I say I'm, I can't be 100 percent sure that's what it is. But here is all the backing evidence documentation interviews that that show what this almost certainly is you know so right there you there you have it <laughs> very cool very cool uh, yeah because that's, that's exactly what was going on everybody was 
this is from a family of Bigfoot that live in the area. And and on and on, you know, I, I might have, it might even have been the same group that you saw it in. And all these crazy theories are like, you have no way of knowing what that is. You have no way. You don't have the body. You don't have – you have one photo. Like I said, it could be somebody in a car accident. It could be, a, you know, an NBA player. Yeah. You know, you don't know what it is. So yeah, I'm glad you they, cleared that up. Yeah, they didn't recognize that, the, it, that when the claws are removed from a from a large feline like that and the, yeah. the bones are straightened up in such a position as that thing was laying, it does look like a foot. And, you know, I don't blame people for kind of, you know, jumping to – conclusions and dude nobody wants that to be a fout monster skeleton more than me i really wish it was but i can't cloud my uh you know investigative uh, integrity to to think anything else and so you know i wish people would be a little bit you know follow up again follow up more look into what's out there it's been published and written and this and that before you start throwing in all your theories. That's like me, uh, you know, not knowing anything about, uh, you know, like some car that breaks down a lot. When me start guessing, well, you know, it's probably the, you know, the, the manifold or, you know, whatever. I don't know nothing about it. it but if I, I read up on it, maybe I could chime in. But people just, the you know, like you say, the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it, you can see this gets me going because I've seen this has gotten increasingly worse you know um, over time since I started investigating Bigfoot years ago I just see so much of this armchair nonsense you know that's a big waste of time yeah yeah it's crazy yeah. well uh, talking about the Fox monster now for uh Possibly that you know maybe uh, uh, one or two people out in our audience who who may not be familiar with uh, you know the whole legend of uh, of, of Bogey Creek. Uh, why don't you just uh, uh, tell us when did people first start uh, seeing uh, seeing this thing down there? I mean, I know it happened long before the movie uh, was ever put out, but uh, I mean, you know, had there been something being seen there? I mean, almost as long as there have been you know uh, people in that area. Uh, yeah, certainly so. I traced sightings back uh, in that area as far back as about 1908. And, I mean, the the kind of the brief rundown of what happened was in uh, May of 1971, some folks had moved to town in Falk, and for several nights something had been creeping around on their porch. They'd have some sightings of it and uh, on one occasion stuck basically stuck its hairy paw or hand through the window. And they had the impression it was something walking upright and all this. And uh, they confronted it with shotguns in true Southern fashion, you know. And and uh, this ended up getting documented in the Texarkana Gazette. So this is May of 1971. And just weeks after that, you know, another uh, couple, a, a very uh, well-respected Couple saw a what they described as a monkey-like creature walking, running on two legs across the road near Falk, and a lot of other incidents like this. And so, 1971, when it really started coming to the public's attention, but uh, as this started coming out, and news reporters were kind of looking into the story, so some of the old timers down there said, "No, no, we've had sightings down here for years. They just never got in the paper." 
There had been a huge flap of sightings in the 1960s in a place called Jonesville, which is uh, several miles uh, southwest of Falk, uh, closer to this Sulphur River Bottoms area. And, you know, now you're starting to get a bigger picture. And, and those, those sightings were kind of documented in the Legend of Boggy Creek movie, which was made and came out in 72. And in my research, which I thoroughly looked into this and traced down other things, I found sightings back in the 40s. And people generally state, I see on the Internet, that sightings could be traced back to the 40s. Well, I found some in the 30s, the 20s, and the first one I could find in the area uh, was about 1908. So, yes, yeah, certainly there was a long history uh, of these sightings uh, that had occurred over time, which sort of backed up all the hoopla that started in the 70s. A lot of people thought, oh, that all happened, you know, in the 70s. Well, no, it's a much uh, a bigger picture than that. And as well, after the movie faded away and, you know, everybody kind of lost interest, um, these things weren't documented in the newspapers, but there's been sightings ever since. And it wasn't really until my book and and me participating in several of these newer TV shows that people started realizing, oh, wow, that, that area is still active. It's just that uh, the newspaper kind of got tired of it and, you know, they'd rehash it on Halloween or something. But, you know, it just sort of fell to just some of the localized Bigfoot researchers or, or until myself really trying to put together the whole picture. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just a long history of sightings. And I investigated one that occurred uh, back in November of this year, which was an extremely credible uh, case that I just researched. So they're, they're still going on. And all these, uh, and, and especially the the early sightings. I mean, long before anybody had ever even uh, you know heard of a, a Sasquatch or Bigfoot. I mean, everything has uh, remained consistent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the most part, they're you know the descriptions are very similar. You know, a seven foot tall ape like creature that that walks on two legs, and you know they each varies in in how much detail the witness could see. And, of course, going way back that far, I start getting into second, third-hand reports. So I can't interview the person who actually saw it in, say, 1932 or 1928. Um, But, you know, I've I've gotten to know these folks up there in that area, and I know who, you know, who to trust and and who, who is legitimately telling me, you know, to the best of their ability, something that happened. So... I, I do see a consistency in the reports over time, definitely. Hmm. That's, a, that's 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 really interesting. So, um, uh, how did the um, how did the idea come about to uh, t- to make a movie based on this? And 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 again, I mean, you know, the the, the movie is is. You know, definitely a movie. I mean, it's not a documentary or anything like that. It was, it was, it was made, you know, to to thrill people. But I mean, was it all? Do you any idea? I mean, you know, was it uh, conceived uh, right from the beginning to be a uh, you know like a scary movie based on a true story? Well, yeah. I mean, I know the whole deal. Basically, um, the movie was made by Charles B. Pierce, and 
Charles Pierce lived in Texarkana at the time in, ni- or in 1971 when this stuff started getting printed in the Texarkana Gazette. And he had been uh, a ver- various occupations, a very creative kind of fellow. And at the time, he was working for an ad advertising agency shooting commercials. And he was getting in his mind that he wanted to make a documentary or maybe a movie that was something he wanted to do. Well, when he started reading these accounts of the of this creature attacking people down in Falk, he thought, "Man, this this is perfect. It's it's that's about twenty minutes from Texarkana." And uh, so he talked to a businessman up there uh, in Texarkana, got some money loaned to him so he could start production on this. And at first, he did start out to make a documentary called "Tracking the Falk Monster." And but as he went on, he realized that man, this is this will make a just a great movie, um, and you know, so he didn't have a big budget, so he went down to Falk and he he would talk to the people who had these sightings, and he would basically ask them to reenact them, or uh, if they you know if they didn't want to do it or get on camera, he would just have somebody else uh, stand in and, and act it out for them. And this this is I mean you see this all the time now, like on Monster Quest and. And Monsters and Mysteries and Finding Bigfoot, where they recreate somebody sighting. Well, he was doing this, and he was filming that in '71. I mean, that he set the sort of as a pioneer of, of kind of reenacting these Bigfoot sightings. So, um, as it evolved, he brought in a screenwriter. They wrote the narration, which narrated the thing, and he he just made a fantastic looking movie. And the reason it was so scary, as you guys know, is it. Mm. It just looks grainy. It looks real. The people sound yeah. authentic. Authentic. This right. is not Hollywood actors. This is the absolutely in many cases the real people who had those sightings, and it comes across as very uh, spooky. I mean, uh, you know, this would later be copied by the directors of the Blair Witch Project. That format to make things seem more real. And, the, you know, they say straight out, we wanted to make our own movie like The Legend of Boggy Creek. And I remember when I saw it in the drive-in, I don't know if you guys had this idea, but in my in my little kid mind, I thought, I thought, how did this guy have the camera there at the same time that lady <laughs> saw that Bigfoot? Because, you know, I couldn't understand. It looked so real. Because right. right. it wasn't, you know, it didn't look like a movie. It looked like it was happening. So... That went a long way into, uh, you know, scaring people back in the seventies. You know, I mean, well, even the actors weren't they? I mean, they they seemed like they were part of the local bunch or of similar background. I mean, they didn't they they they, they weren't Hollywood actors yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Pierce used um, people and actors in and around Texarkana, and, and the ones there's very few the actual actors in there, but the ones that are came from that area, Texarkana, and you can hear it in their voice. So he, you know, in a way, he's, he was a pioneer of Arkansas filmmaking. I mean, he was he was making a, uh independent movie in Arkansas in 1971. I mean, this kind of stuff is done all the time now, but he was, he was quite a pioneer um, in doing this and has influenced many other directors and movies over time. But... Um, so that that's really how it came about, and and once he had filmed it, he kind of ran out of money. He did go to Hollywood to try to get distribution and get somebody to help him out to finish the editing and the soundtrack, and um, 
Of course, he ran into a huge roadblock when he goes out there, and they're like, okay, son, you never made a movie before. You're from where? Arkansas? And your movie's about Bigfoot? You can forget it. <laughs> he was yeah. totally turned away, but he found a partner out there, this Jamie Mendoza Nava, who who went in and, and kind of collaborated. He did the soundtrack and helped him. And then once, basically once they had a full movie, Pierce brought it back to Texarkana. He rented a uh, a theater himself, which is this is this process is called four walling. When he rented the theater and started selling tickets and showing it himself, there was lines around the block. It was it was just from the get go. Obviously, people knew about this subject. It was a huge hit. So he he made a copy of the film, started showing it in Shreveport, Louisiana. Same thing. Lines around the block. Boom, boom. boom. Now, here comes a distributor. Oh, yeah, yeah, remember us? Uh, you know, and, you know, yeah. of course, they had to pay out the nose now, but Halco, Halco International Good. picked it up, put it on, you know, into uh, the, the movie theaters and drive-ins where, you know, we all saw it, and it was a huge movie. So he, he made, Charles Pierce put in about $160,000. The film... Uh, made about $25 million. So just figure that in 1970s, you know, valuation, and you can see that it was a feat. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, gentlemen, um, we need to uh, take a little break here, so now's the perfect time to do that. Uh, so uh, let's go ahead and do that, and when we come back, uh, we'll uh, continue our conversation with uh, Lyle Blackburn. So you are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right- I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Only in the forest can you see this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Join the club that gives you stuff. Hey, thanks! Radio Loyalty. Here's how it works. Just click on the Radio Loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then, you keep on listening like you already do. But now, you earn points. Those points add up, and you can trade them in for stuff in the Radio Loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the New Players App Store. Pretty simple, right? Radio Loyalty. Click that banner to join now. Once again, with the Outer Edge and the PSN Radio Network, I'm Tim Swartz with Mike Mott, and we are talking today with Lyle Blackburn. Well, we've been uh, uh, talking uh, mostly up to this point uh, uh, about the Fox Monster, but uh, Mike, you wanted to uh, ask Lyle about uh, some uh, some of the other stuff that he does. Yeah, I, I know that Lyle's been doing a lot of research has written a book about lizard men and, and, and related forms, but he's also you know done other types of research. Uh, Lyle, what, what else have you been working on lately in terms of uh, cryptids, the unknown, and, and so forth? Uh, as far as that goes, um, I, I've been, you know, it's kind of an ongoing cataloging of different reports um, that come my way that, that I try to follow up on. Um, I've I've got several book ideas, and I'm, I'm trying to get get going on some of those things. Um, last last season, I, I worked as a store developer for that show, Monsters and Mysteries in America. Uh, right. So, so you know, that was cool. Uh, kind of an advisor, basically. That's one of the shows that that I really appreciate because they do try to you know stick to the story. They interview they real do. people with real stories, and they've right. They've, you know, done a lot of these regional ones. I first got associated with them when they did the Falcon Monster episode in, uh, I guess that was their season one, and then we did I did a Lizard Man one. So um, we got a rapport, and so I was fortunate to uh, work as a consultant and brought forward several of the stories you see uh, on the season that's been airing this year. Uh, so I did that, um, you know, which kind of all this kind of delays 
writing other books. You know, when I wrote The Beast of Boggy Creek, I wasn't I wasn't doing any of this or doing interviews on radio. So it was like <laughs> I had all kinds of time. Now it's like I'm 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 having to juggle a lot of things. Um, but but yeah, I definitely continue to. Uh, catalog reports and, and trying to outline something uh, along the lines of a probably a southern Sasquatch book. That's what I really want to kind of expand because I've got so many cool reports and they've um, done so many interviews in many other states um, that that would would be interesting to the people who have enjoyed my first books. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let me ask you: Have you ever thought about doing a a Ghoul Town album that was sort of um, dedicated to these these themes. Well, you know, the, the thing about that is um, they're kind of two separate things because the Ghoul Town band has been around for a little over 15 years, and the theme is very... We do have kind of a horror, dark, Western horror element to right. it, but it's mostly like, you know... Uh, outlaw and you know drinking tequila and um, you know things like that and it's it's very difficult I've found to write songs about Bigfoot lizard men that don't sound silly I mean it just doesn't yeah. yeah it's it's very difficult to to do it and it just doesn't quite fit into what Ghoul Town is and at that point I right. felt that I would be bringing in my own interest over what fans and, and what has contributed to the success of Ghoul Town. Now, however, right. however, <laughs> uh, <laughs> once I started writing the books and now I'm, I'm doing all these TV shows and all this, I, I was taking a break from the band to write a book when I did The Beast of Boggy Creek, but I had no idea that I would propel me into this whole new... Uh, somewhat of a career line I don't make my complete money off writing those books obviously but um, but yeah it became its own thing and so it's kind of caused me to have to put the band aside but you know I, I have written another album and um, recently our guitarist uh, basically came close to dying and it kind of oh, was a kick in the butt that man we've got uh, fans are just about to uh, you know hang me literally like old west style if we don't come out with an album i've got a great album i thought you know this year let's dedicate some time and get that thing out um we used to do a lot of touring around the the states and i mean we played europe toured in europe and all that sort of stuff i spent so many years as a musician i you know it's i just kind of got where i was tired of doing that and i love the outdoors and i really love the monster thing and that that was a great break so i don't want to go back and start touring the world but i do want to bring the fans um a new album and so i thought man i wish i could do like a, at least a legend of boggy creek song so in this case we did manage to work one up and we're working on the new album now and i think i finally hit that perfect i don't know balance between you know what ghoul town does and playing in that legend of boggy creek theme at least for one yeah. song that'd and be cool yeah, I'm really happy about this song. It's like one of my favorites in, in the new batch of songs. So so I think I, I've done the best of both worlds there without compromising anything, so to speak. Or, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, if you stay true to the the 
folk tradition that goes with it. The you know the feel of those people who tell those stories. What you know you know what I mean. No, yeah. Nothing camp about it. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think in you hear Bigfoot songs, and there's certain guys like Lenny Green that can do a great Bigfoot song, but it's it's much more of a folk song. It's much more about. There's a certain feel, and since Schooltown plays more rock and roll, if I'm up there going, yeah. Come, you know, Bigfoot, Bigfoot, it just sounds dorky, yeah. you know. Well, you don't, yeah, you don't, well, you don't have to call it that, you know. Right. You, can, it, you know, so. It's more, yeah, if you say it without saying it, it's, it's exactly. spooky, kind of keep that spooky element. So I think uh, we've really created something cool with this song. And, you know, it's funny because since I started writing the books, it turned a whole new bunch of people onto my music that probably would have never come across it, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, they you know, they like they like the books, they see, oh this guy's in a band, you know, or whatever, and they listen to it and they you know, some people like it, I'm sure some people don't, but it's been cool that, you know, it's kind of cross pollinated and it's it's kind of exciting that uh, you know, we we played some show we play a few shows right. here and here and there and you know, I'm starting to see all these like Bigfooters out there. It's cool, man. It's like, yeah, who would ever thought? Well, well I'll tell you what, what I what I bought from you. I got Bury Them Deep, Life After Sundown, the whole album, uh, Life from Texas, and The Unforgotten. Um, I'm missing some, so I'm gonna, you're going to have to let me know, man. Maybe I can get you to send me an autograph copy. Yeah. When it even comes out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, we got working on the new one, and you've got, I mean, you've really got the best of the best with those. Was the, the the others are classic albums preceding that. Um, yeah, they're hard to find too. Three more, but you're talking, yeah, uh, they're they're difficult and they go for high dollars on eBay. And you know, we would repress them, but really, people mostly buy the digital. Um, yeah. But we're 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 working also on some things this year. We're re- releasing Life After Sundown on tw- on vinyl, an LP version, and this whole. Wow. People are real into the retro thing with the vinyl, so see. And uh, I'd like to get one of those for my daughter. She's really into all the, the retro yeah. vinyl. And yeah. stuff. She's a musician too. So, yeah, yeah. There you go. It's so crazy, but I love it because our our the cover uh, the cover art is going to look so fantastic, big like that. It just never mm-hmm. does it justice at the small size of a yeah. CD. Um, so I'm excited just to have that, you know, people have that big cover art and have the album, and it's going to be colored vinyl. Um, you know, a lot people came to us and wanted to do it. So, and then as That's well, really we're cool. working on the on a new album, which is called is going to be called Ghosts of the Southern Sun, and the theme is kind of there's a there's kind of a ghostly theme to this, which you know, I mean, in our realm, you know, it's closely tied to. To, the, to uh, cryptids and ghosts and all that cool stuff. So there's right. kind of this this uh, ghostly element to it. So I think I think it's going to be a, a very cool album. Well, sounds good. Have you already recorded all the tracks? Uh, no, I, I've, I've written them, and, and we're being very modern now. We used to we get you know I wrote, I write most of the songs, and we get in a room, and we'd you know I'd just kind of show it to them or you know whatever, and we'd learn it. Now uh, we. Some of the, our, our drummer lives three hours away. You know, we've kind of spread out, and and so we, we're doing these demos on our computers and sharing the files and creating a rough kind of a rush rough demo that everybody yeah. can kind of use to kind of learn it ahead of time. Then we get together and, and tweak it out. So it's it's well, something we haven't done. The stuff on the albums that you have, it, it sounds almost like 
you guys are actually getting in the studio and just playing it. Is that pretty much how you've been doing it? Uh, to a certain extent. I mean, we, since I, you know, I mean, I play rhythm guitar and also sing, so I don't like, you know, I, I do go in and record. We record all the rhythm tracks first, mostly with, uh, yeah, yeah, live with the drums and the bass and, and the rhythms. Yeah, yeah, sounds so, good. You know, we overdub the lead and, and then I go in and sing my all my vocal parts and we have the, the kind of spaghetti western trumpet so then he'll come in at the somewhere in there and, and amaze us with this awesome trumpet. It's stuff. awesome. It is. He, oh yeah. <laughs> we call him the secret weapon, you know, it's like it's it, and it's amazing. You know, it, it it stands out with our music, but for those that haven't, you know, heard it, people ask me what kind of music is it. I'm like, I don't know. It's Ghoul Town. It's kind of a somewhere between Rob Zombie and Johnny Cash, if you can rem- yeah, imagine. Exactly. <laughs> imagine. Uh, my, my son's a musician. He's actually in in college, majoring in music, and he, you know, for vocal and stuff. And, uh, and my daughter is a self-taught musician. She's really, really good. She's a guitarist and a singer, but she's not doing it for a living. You know, that's not what she does, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really good to to hear unique voices because you guys are unique. I mean, I really can't think of any other group of any type that could be compared to you guys in terms of well, they sound alike or they sound right. very similar. I mean, it's totally unique, and that, to me, that's that's the epitome of uh, 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 what you want to be. You want to be totally unique in what you're doing. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's kind of a blessing and a, a curse because, yeah, when people go, what, what do you guys sound like? Uh, well, nope, I, we can't really name a specific band, you know, and so people want some frame of reference, you know. I'm like, you just got to hear it, and so now you yeah. require them to hear it. If you, you know, if you name, you know, if, if we said, oh, we sound just like, you know, ACDC, well, if they like ACDC, they'll go, oh, okay, I'll, I'll probably like it, you know, you you don't get that benefit, but on the other hand, I wanted to create something that would be memorable and something uh, that's very unique, and that's what we did. That so much so that still you cannot find bands that sound like us, and and it's if you hear it and you see us, you don't forget it, whether you like it or not. People know who Ghoultown is, and um, you know we've made that, and I feel proud of that because. You know, up and above the success or whatever album sales we've made, we've also created a a memorable uh, band. You know, and that I yeah. like to be. Well, really, you know what's cool, and we said something about this on our our uh, Facebook page for the show, but we have a whole bunch of really unique musicians that have lent their music to our show, and you're one of them. And we, man, we really appreciate it because you know, uh, your life after sundown piece, the the leading guitar is is uh, what leads into our show. And, uh, you know, we'll always be grateful to you for that because that helped us kick everything off for this new show. But on top of that, we have a lot of really unique people who contribute like that, you know, really unique musicians and groups. And, you know, three of them are from Texas, you guys and uh, Texas Joe Vias of the Vias Brothers and uh, um, Keith Oliver, who is with uh, Bezel, uh, which is a a sort of a, a, a hard rock group out of Texas. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, uh, the Vias brothers do psychedelic rock is very unique. They're they're Mexican American guys. Just incredible stuff. And uh, if you guys all got together and did a concert or something or uh, some, you know, some sort of an event, that would be awesome because you're all yeah. totally unique. Your groups are totally unique. 
Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And I think when you hear, I think when people that appreciate unique music like other unique music because they're not, they're not, our fans are certainly not followers of trends. I see metalheads, punks, country people. I mean, there's every kind of person out there. These are individuals that go, man, if I like it, I like it. I don't, it doesn't have to be part of the fad or the scene and, you know, and that's Ghoul Town, and that's good. We exist outside of all that because we've played for 15 years, and it doesn't matter what music trends go, come or go. It doesn't make us any different. Our stuff, other than our production quality, has, you know, increased quite a bit over the years. You know, we have bigger budgets. The actual songs are still the same style, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. That's really cool. Well, but, and uh, I, I like the I like the idea that uh, you're going to be releasing, you know, your next album on vinyl. Uh, the, you know, because vinyl has such uh, such a sound to it. I mean, it's it, it's so much richer, I think, mm-hmm. you know, than 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 CDs. And uh, you know, of course, I'm, I'm dating myself here because <laughs> you know, I mean, I, everything I used to listen to was on vinyl. So the fact that you are doing that, I mean, I just, I, I, I really have to applaud you, you know, for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, it, it may sound dated or whatever, but it's a true fact that. Uh, the quality of that is the is the true audio experience. CDs, mm-hmm. they're just yep. a step down in that. It just sounds a little more digital. And then now you're talking MP3s, which are either streamed or or things like that. That if you listen to that up against something that was on vinyl, it's a huge difference in the quality. And people, I don't, yep. I don't think younger people don't just don't realize uh, what they're missing because they just they didn't have the chance to live through when you could only get it on record, you know, but, mm. and I think that's why there's been a resurgence of this people that appreciate that. Cause at some point people realize, Oh crap, this, these things sound great. And once it caught on, people go, yeah, this is a great format. And now you can, I mean, so many bands release vinyl. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's too bad that somebody can't figure out how to, capture that that rich vinyl sound you know with the digital there's got to be a way to do it there's it's just no one has they're so they're so set on trying to capture the perfect digital quality and they don't understand that they're losing something I, it, there should be some way whether it's through an equalizer setting or something where you can try to to recreate that yeah i mean there's certain ways i think the the, the basic problem is that analog sound like when when you record on like a two inch tape, you can you can go above uh, the levels. You can stretch, uh, you know, without clipping, so to speak. Yeah. It, it can mm-hmm. it can be louder. It can it can be bigger. Digital, yeah. it will clip. There is a, there is a ceiling on that that it must maintain below, or the whole entire uh, track will you know clip or or there'll be uh, audible pop or something bad you know right. whereas analog yeah. going from tape to now a vinyl to vinyl which was just representing that sort of in an analog way never had those limitations and so you know digital has had a struggle to 
to yeah. meet that right presidents, you know. Well, keep keep me posted because um, I, I want a CD, and I want to. I'm now I'm wanting to get two vinyls. I want to get one for my son and one for my daughter, since they both have a vinyl setup capability too. So, okay, yeah, I'll, yeah. Uh, I will write a note right now to cool. That'd be awesome. You know when, that sounds uh, great. As these things come out, uh... <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. And, and listen to all the listeners out there. If you guys have not heard Lyle's music. Um, you really need to check out Ghoul Town. They're a really talented bunch of guys. I mean, it's just incredible, unique sound. Um, if you like the music, for instance, of, of Ennio Morricone, and you might really like this music, uh, if you know who that is. Uh, the spaghetti, like you said, the spaghetti western music. But it's, it's rock and roll. It's kind of punk. It's kind of, kind of country. It, it's just hard to describe. I mean, you have to check it out because it's totally unique. Um, Lyle, where can they... Where can they hear more about both you and your music, whether it's your books or your music or whatever? Uh, best place to, would be to go to my website, which would be lyleblackburn.com, L-Y-L-E blackburn.com. And uh, I've got links there to where you can purchase the books or you can you can actually purchase autographed copies right there. And then it'll give you a link over to ghoultown.com so you can check out the band Uh and uh, you know, follow that whole thing. So yeah, just hitting on my website's a good launch pad for for everything that I do. And uh, you know, of course, you can pick up my books at Amazon.com. You can get on BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, they're available in Kindle and Nook, and they're on iTunes in the ebook form. So you know, all the flavors and and same with our music. You know, you can get hard copies. Yeah. Uh, from us, you can buy it on iTunes. You can get it at Amazon, and and uh, you know if you if you if you're really totally into it and want to pay outrageous amounts for the old albums, get on eBay and just just, just look at the outrageous yeah, prices. I, could, I, I looked, but I could I couldn't handle it. I couldn't swing it. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's awesome stuff. But uh, you know, we, I mentioned earlier that you you know done uh, other cryptid research. Um, and you said something about you had some things you were look, working on now that are new, and you may not be ready to talk about that yet. But kind of, uh, if you would, tell us a little bit about your, your previous book, which we talked about the last time you were on here, about the reptilian humanoids and maybe what you think this is all about and where it's going. Are we talking about like several different types of beings or, several, or are we talking about one one basic type? Are we talking about different species of, of reptilians? What do you think is going on there? Yeah, that, that's really an interesting case. And when I did my book, Lizard Man, I, I kind of started with the kind of the most famous cryptid reptilian humanoid case, uh, the Bishopville Lizard Man, uh, which was, you know, interesting case, small town, swampy area, you know, the kind of stuff that people have come to see that I like. And um, as I expanded that, yeah, I looked at different reptilian humanoid sightings around North America just to kind of compare and contrast. And you do see a much more um, varied description of those entities uh, that is more varied than, say, Bigfoot. You know, Bigfoot's in a fairly general description, you know, but the, the reptilians, you know, often have different features in that, you know, the a mouth or a beak looking thing or are they you know three feet tall or are they six feet or seven feet tall um so it's a much a much more difficult to come up with any solid theories because there are 
you know, somewhat less sightings in terms of cryptozoology. I mean, you can start looking at these reptilian humanoids over into the UFO category where you're assuming they're from outer space or uh, extraterrestrials and things like that. But I tried to look at it in a, just a cryptozoological sense. Are there reptilian humanoid animals out there? And, uh, you know, my feeling on that is some of that, some of that stuff is, you know, suspect or, or possibly uh, misidentification. You know, I found that in some cases, yeah. when I looked at the real police reports, though the news media called it the Lizard Man because that's what the regional folks had called it, the person says it had it looked brownish. It had hair, and I'm thinking, well, maybe they saw a Bigfoot. Um, you know, and just like we talked about earlier with these regional names that it's so ingrained that if it's, uh, you know, if it's in that area and it's, it's any remotely a monster, it's the lizard man. So I started seeing some confusion in what people may have actually reported and what the media ended up naming it, you know. So um, uh, the jury is still out on the reptilian humanoids. It's definitely totally... An interesting and mysterious thing. I, I always loved the movie The Creature from Black Lagoon, so I thought, man, if something like that really did exist, um, yeah. that would be mind blowing. And that's what's kind of what drew me to it, you know. Um, but as far as being able to explain what these things are, man, I'm I'm out there with the rest of you, just trying to sort it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, it seems like some of it may be uh, it, paranormal. You know, it may, it may not even be a physical, a truly animal type phenomenon at all. It may be something completely yeah. different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's that angle as well, and certainly theories that go into um, subterranean races of right uh, that or, or shape shape shifters. And I mean, there's there's a lot of avenues you can go with the reptilian thing, and um, yeah. certainly you you know you can't blame people for having paranormal explanations for things that are literally very fantastic uh, yeah. in their in their description so um, yeah that's another you know be another theory is to, to explain these sightings and again you can't dismiss you can't completely say these people didn't see anything I definitely yeah. can tell you some of these witnesses they saw something you know oh, yeah yeah they're not most of most of them are not lying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and you also, I mean, there's there's a there's a very long and rich, you know, like mythological history of uh, uh, reptilian humanoids, you know, uh, snake people, and and that sort of thing. I mean, you know, you go back into, you know, like uh, the uh, the Babylonian mythology. I mean, and even you know, I mean, some people say even in the Bible, you know, the whole uh, uh, Adam and Eve and the serpent thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, he walked upright, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So, but you know, uh, it's pretty cool. It's interesting that, that a lot of us, you know, we we have our various interests, and they all kind of complement. Like, for instance, I'm interested in fiction, but I'm also interested in fourteen stuff. I think Tim's the same way. Um, you know, and Lyle, I know that you are you were are a, a regular contributor to Rue Morgue magazine, and that's a horror magazine that's been around for a while. Um, have you been doing a lot of stuff with them lately? Yeah, I have. I have just uh, a small column called Monstro Bizarro, 
in, in there. It comes out every month in the magazine. It's very small, but it, I, you know, talk about cryptids in that. They love the cryptozoology thing, and that's why they brought me in. They had actually, I knew the magazine because not only was our reader, but they had covered Ghoul Town in it several times because we have the kind of horror theme. And yeah. when they found out I was into Bigfoot and cryptozoology, like, oh, man, we love that stuff. You know, we need somebody that knows about that that could, you know, review some of these movies that come out. And so I do the little column. And then, you know, when a movie is released, like, for example, Exists, which was a movie that came out last year. Um, it was a Bigfoot horror movie. You know, then I, I did a feature on that because, um, you know, it's my frame of reference. So I, I do occasional articles as I have time or just when things come out or I review um, any kind of cryptid-related uh, movie or, like, there was a Mothman documentary, so I would review that and... Uh, you know, that's basically what I do for the magazine. Yeah, that's cool. I have a friend, uh, uh, I think he may have written for, for Rue Morgue at some point. Um, how long? It's been around for quite a while, hasn't it, Rue Morgue? Yeah, it's been around since the 90s. Um, gosh, probably, I'm trying to think how many years. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, since probably the, the late 90s, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah it, it's one of the one of the better small press magazines i think on, on uh, horror, horror fiction and stuff and topics um yeah it's well written very well written i mean the writing there is very i mean it's not yeah uh, people don't expect how well rounded and well written these articles are it's a great magazine i used to just pick it that would be how i knew what cool movies to watch because i just pick it up i was like if they think it's good every time i'm pretty i, I had the same uh, taste, I guess, and it, you know, it's a great magazine. People, you know, you could pick that up at Barnes and Nobles, you know, in the store and stuff. So it's a, yeah, you know, widely distributed magazine. Awesome. Well, I, I see. Uh, I also see it on your uh, Facebook page because this, uh, this hits home with me. You gave a shout out to uh, the new uh, uh, cryptozoology anthology, uh, men's adventure magazines, the cryptozoology anthology. And, uh, you know, I, I know, and, and I'm sure it's probably like that with Mike. I know it was with uh, Tim Beckley. You know, I mean, uh, my first exposure to, you know, like a lot of these weird stories, especially, you know, along the lines of cryptozoology, yep. came from uh, these magazines, you know, Saga and Argosy especially. So, you know, I'm really happy to see that somebody uh, somebody is uh, putting something like this together. Yeah, that just looks super cool. Um uh, I, had, I knew about it ahead of time because Dave Coleman, one of the editors, he's the guy who wrote the Bigfoot filmography book. He lives here in Texas, and he's a friend of mine, and he had talked to me about uh, something at, at some point um, having to do with one of those articles that he was doing the preface for. But, yeah, when I saw that, it had the great artwork and stuff. I'm like, oh, man, this just looks too cool. I, yeah, it kind of gets your... You know, it's fiction, yet it's still the subject of cryptid. So it brings together two interests in one. You know, for me, definitely. So, well, you yeah. know, a lot of a lot of our favorite writers, you know, John Keel and Brad Steiger and people like that. I mean, you know, they they did a lot of writing for uh, those kinds of magazines. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, and it's I, it's cool that they're you know bringing some of these reprinting them because I I think many people probably. Don't don't appreciate or know about these stories, you know, and 
it's going to be uh, uh, something that uh, people will definitely enjoy. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to have to check that out, too. And yeah. the movie exists. Is it out on DVD yet? Yes, it is. Yes, I, and I highly recommend it. I mean, uh, the, the, the director, Eduardo Sanchez, he was one of the co-directors of the Blair Witch Project, and uh, he and I have gotten to be friends over the years, and he's definitely a guy who appreciated Bigfoot of the 1970s. He loved The Legend of Boggy Creek. I mean, he was freaked out when he saw the Patterson-Gimlin film on TV for the first time, you know, and he wanted to cre- create a movie that kind of, as best he could, it re- you know made Bigfoot scary again. Right. Uh, and I know a lot of researchers complain about Bigfoot in horror movies, but I mean, hey, we all love The Legend of Boggy Creek, and that's what, what that was. And, and I think with Exists, he's definitely come the closest to re- recreating that feel, and I think it's right. the best Bigfoot movie that's been made since The Legend of Boggy Creek, in my opinion. Well, you know, I, I, I'm one of these guys that, you know, I grew up watching all these, just about every type of movie you can imagine, but and reading reading everything I could get my hands on, every topic. But the thing is that when it comes to horror movies, I'm kind of jaded. I mean, they... I see so much of it as being contrived, predictable, um, shock factor. You know, it takes a lot to make me say, well, that's a really good movie. That's well done. You know, like I think that the original version of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which was on TV, was just monumentally better than the thing Guillermo del Toro did, which was good, but it just didn't match that TV movie. The the true, scary, creepy, realistic factor of this country house as opposed to some, you know, palatial mansion idea it just with digital creatures it just didn't get it you know but i saw a movie not long ago which really impressed me you could tell it was low budget almost all the horror was totally implied it was called absentia have you seen that uh i don't think so oh check it out man um that's all I'll say. And Tim, if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Absentia. I don't think I've seen that one. Absentia. I'll have to look at yeah, it. Yeah, it's on, I think you can get it on uh, Amazon. I'm actually looking right this minute. Yeah, it's on there. You could get it on DVD for $6.11. <laughs> I would say yeah. get it. It's really, really cool. Yeah, um, I'll write that down. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. It's There's so many coming out now, and there's, there's a lot of bad. I mean, there's some great stuff, but yeah. there it's... If there is some, it's and the, the CGI monsters and all that. I just, I'd rather see a dude in a rubber mask, you know. Or, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or, or, see yeah. Not, or, or, yeah. or see that's nothing. That, exactly, know? and that's why Absentia is. It's a real psychological. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, it's obvious that, in the story that something's going on, and it's a very scary something. But you know, there's no big giant monster. You know, I mean, I mean, it's one of these things where. Is it psychological? Is it not? Of course, it's not. But, but it's. I was really impressed. I haven't seen a. I don't think I've seen a horror movie that good in a long time. Cool. So yeah, it's cool. Check it out. Yeah, I'm looking. I, I recognize that cover. I, I think it might be on Netflix. I might be in my queue now. I just haven't. Yeah. Haven't watched it yet. It I sounds, mean, it's, it's a slow. Yeah. It's a slow pace, but it builds. You know. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Well, guys, uh, we are, we only have a couple minutes of, uh, time left here. So, uh, uh once again, uh, Lyle wanted to, uh, tell our audience, uh, your book, name of your books, where, uh, they can find them and, uh, where, uh, they can find your online presence as well. 
Okay, well, uh, the best place to go is my website, Lyle Blackburn, L-Y-L-E Blackburn.com, and you can find my books there, The Beast of Boggy Creek, which is uh, the history of the Fountain Monster, which inspired the uh, infamous movie, The Legend of Boggy Creek, and I cover the the uh, history of the sightings of the creature from the early 1900s all the way up to modern times, and the making of the movie, The Legend of Boggy Creek, and my, my book, uh, Lizard Man, The True Story of the Bishopville Monster, uh, goes into the reptilian uh, humanoid sightings of Bishopville and all around North America, so you will appreciate these books, I'm sure. Um, all right, for Rue Morgue Magazine, you can pick that up in Barnes & Nobles or online at rue-morgue.com. And you can find my band at ghoultown, G-H-O-U-L-T-O-W-N.com. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to like try to explain what kind of music we are. Go check it out, watch some of our videos, and join the, uh, the other folks that have... Uh, uh, become fans of Ghoul Town. Uh, if you like uh, good music, just check it out and see what you think. Well, I'll, uh, I'll I'll play a little bit of uh, Ghoul Town as we're uh, going out of our show here. It'll be uh, Life After Sundown, so uh, fantastic. All right, well, uh, Lyle, thank you very much for uh, being with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. No problem. Enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Take care, Ben. All right, and for everybody out there for listening, thank you very much. This is uh, Tim Swartz with Mike Mott. Our guest tonight was uh, Lyle Blackburn, so uh, please be sure to tune in again this time next week for The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. So for all of us, good night, and thanks for listening. Sun goes down.